What does the Bible really teach about everything? Today we're going to read an essay by Kevin DeYoung. I hope you enjoy. Isn't it good news? Seeing a wretched redeemed. Seeing sins built washed clean. Seeing enslaved men free. We've been justified. We're being sanctified. The first person we meet in the Bible is God. And the first thing we see about God is that he is before all things. God is self-existent, independent, without beginning or end, without equal. The creator God, distinct from his creation. A holy and unrivaled, God-eternal, infinite, and in his essence, unlike anything or anyone that ever was, is, or will be. This is the God we first meet in the first verse of the first book of the Bible. And this is the God who created all things. He created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. What's more, he made men and women as the crown of his creation, making them in his image and after his likeness. He created them to rule and to reproduce and to have a relationship with God. But the first man and the first woman disobeyed God's command. They listened to the slithering one as he tempted them to doubt the clarity and goodness of God's word. They took a bite from the forbidden fruit and the fruit bit back. When sin entered the world, it was... Not just a fall, it was a curse. The man, the woman, the serpent, the ground, all felt the sting of the curse so that not the way things are supposed to be became the way things are. In just retribution for sin, God drove the man and the woman from the garden and placed an angel to guard the way to the tree of life. Their heaven on earth was no more at least not until God would bring heaven back to earth. The central plot line of the story of Scripture was set in motion. A holy God making a way to dwell in the midst of an unholy people. Space does not permit a full retelling of this story, but one only has to look at the promised land or the temple to see the same narrative carrying forward. The promised land was a type of Eden, and Eden was a foreshadowing of the promised land. God described the creation of Israel in the same way he describes the creation of heavens and the earth. The boundaries of Eden and the boundaries of Canaan are similar. When Jacob comes back from the east to enter Canaan, he is met by an angel an allusion to the angel placed at the entrance to Eden. Joshua, likewise, encounters a heavenly guardian when he approaches the promised land by way of Jericho. God was giving his people a new kind of paradise, a reconstituted heaven on earth, a promised land in which God would be their God and they would be his people. But once again, they proved to be covenant breakers. Generations earlier, after being expelled from the garden, God plucked 
Abraham out of Babylon to go to the land of Canaan. And generations later, after being expelled from the promised land, God plucked his people out of Babylon and sent the exiles back to their homes. Adam had the garden and failed to obey. Israel got the garden back and they failed to obey. Both were expelled east of Eden. In both cases, it took the sovereign hand of God to bring his people back from Babylon to where they belonged. The promised land was a lens through which God's people were supposed to look back to Eden. That was to look forward to the Eden that was to come. In the same way, the tabernacle and the temple were meant to reflect the Garden of Eden and symbolize a kind of heaven on earth. The tabernacle was a copy and a shadow of what can be found in heaven. Once inside the tent, God's people were transported into a symbolic heaven, staring at deep blue curtains with images of seraphim flying in midair. The Spirit filled certain men in fashioning of the tabernacle just as the Spirit hovered over the chaos in the formation of the heavens and the earth. The entrance to both the tabernacle and the temple was on the east, reminiscent of Eden. Angels were carved on the mercy seat of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which was placed inside the Holy of Holies. Another reminder that, like Eden, angels were guarding the presence of God. Even the menorah, with its branches, buds, and blossoms, were meant to look like a tree, likely a reminder of the tree of life found in the garden. The Lord God put his tabernacle in the midst of the camp and later his temple in the midst of the city to visually represent his dwelling place among the people. Just as God had walked with Adam in the cool of the day, so he made a way to dwell in the midst of his chosen people. But the temple was destroyed, divine retribution for the sins of his People, As often as God had made a way to dwell in the midst of his unholy people, just as often had they squandered their God-wrought restoration. So God sent his son, a son of Abraham and a son of David. His coming would mark a new genesis, a new beginning. God took on flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus Christ would rebuild a new temple and reform a new Israel. Jesus would be a better Moses and a second Adam. He would die when we deserve to die. He would drink the cup of God's wrath we deserve to drink. At the same time, in death, he would succeed where all others had failed, so that instead of an angel guarding the entrance to God's presence so we cannot enter it, we find an angel at the empty tomb telling us that Christ has gotten out. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And if we repent of our sins and believe in Christ, all The promised blessings, forgiveness, cleansing, redemption, eternal life, becoming our, become our promises too. 
the garden, the land, and the temple did not prefigure a day when holiness no longer mattered. They pointed to the heavenly reality that has been our hope since Adam and Eve were barred from paradise. That's why the picture of the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and 22 is a portrait of Eden restored. The tree of life is the long-awaited reward for those who believe and preserve. The reward is for those who know the grace of Christ, are joined to Christ, and have credit to their account the righteousness of Christ. The right to eat from the tree of life is not the right of those who profess one thing and do another. It will not be enjoyed by those who forget their first love, those who deny the faith, those who give themselves over to sexual immorality. Only those who overcome, only those who conquer, will be granted the right to eat the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. The heavenly vision of Revelation is consummation of everything, the garden, the land, and the temple pictured and predicted. No chaos, no conflict, no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, no night, and no detestable thing. Nothing to interfere with a holy God and His holy people. The way things were, the way things should be, will finally become the way things are forever and ever. Well, friends, I hope that little write-up by Kevin DeYoung helped your heart. I hope it stirred your emotions to see that big story of Scripture that a holy God is making a way to dwell with unholy people. And we see a garden, we see a tabernacle, we see a temple, and then we see a city where we live with God forever. And it is only through the cross of Jesus Christ. We fail, but he didn't. We should die, but he died for us so that we could live forever. Well, I hope this little Um, It was a little different episode. I don't usually just read somebody else's write-up, but I thought it's so good. Um, I'll put all of the text in the show notes, and all of that has references to certain scripture verses. So if you want to look at it um, more uh, deeply, you can certainly do that. Uh, If you want to share it with a friend, please do. Share this episode with them and say, hey, why don't you take 10 minutes and listen to the whole story of the Bible? And uh, maybe it'll stir their affections to know Jesus and to know the gospel. And that maybe through this, they might come to know the Lord Jesus. Well, hey, I think knowing the big story of the Bible really helps us Just know the Lord and know our Bibles and love Him more. Um, So this was a quick 10-minute journey through Scripture. What we're going to do for the next eight weeks or so is we're going to chase down that big story, and we're going to do it through some uh, different imagery, and that imagery is going to be through the kingdom of Christ. And so we're going to use a a book from Robert Vagan. He wrote a book called God's Big Picture, and it chases down eight stages of God's kingdom throughout all of Scripture, and it's one of the more helpful ways to get a handle on just 
your whole Bible so that when you're in Exodus, where are we at? When you're in Isaiah, okay, where are we at in kingdom terms? He does a great job um, of just doing some heavy scholarly lifting and then bringing it right to us so that we can understand it. So I want to use his book as a jumping point to talk through the eight stages of the kingdom. And I think it'll help you so much in navigating the scriptures and knowing where you're reading in the Bible and how it relates to the kingdom of Christ. So I'm really excited about kicking that off next week. This is a little teaser. What's the Bible about? Um, Well, from Kevin D. Young's perspective, which I think is dead on, it's a holy God making a way to dwell with an unholy people. And he used those images. And so we're going to see another way to sort of tell that story. And it's through the unfolding of God's kingdom so that God, so that we become God's people and God's place under God's blessing. And so we're going to see that unfold. I cannot wait for these next eight weeks. I hope that you'll subscribe, stay tuned in, share it with a friend and uh, get your Bible out and be ready because it's going to be fun next week. Hey, I hope today's episode, seeing the big story of the Bible has helped you love your Bible because when you love your Bible, you will love God, serve people and live a life that matters.